Well, hello and welcome back to the Pursuit of Spirit podcast. This is episode five. And in today's episode, how can we remain grounded in uncomfortable and testing situations? Do I practice breath work? And how do we plant seeds for others? All these questions will be answered in this episode. We got a fun one ahead and I'm excited to jump into it with you. So let's get started. Let's just hop right into these questions. The first two are very similar. One's from Tracers, one's from Neha. Hopefully you two are watching. And Tracers asks, how can we find more ways to remain unconditional in morally testable situations? And Neha asks, how to not get affected and not feel a lack of strength when an uncomfortable situation creates havoc? So these are really similar and um, the solution is going to be the same to both of these questions because really what's being asked is how do I stay in contact with the truth, with that unconditional love like Tracer puts it? How can I, how can I stay strong, like Neha asks, um, in these testing situations? And really the, uh, the answers within the question the answer is keeping in contact with that truth. So what you'll find, and this is why uh, spiritual work and some of the deepest awakenings you'll probably have will be when you're alone, right? I, I feel like most of us have awakenings, not when we're like in a party setting, um, talking to people, talking about sort of shallow, dumb things. We usually have awakenings when we're alone. Why is that? Well, it's because when you're alone, it's so much easier to tap into the subtlety and that sort of underlying peace that is always there, that unconditionality, as Tracers put it, the the strength, as Neha put it. it. It's relatively easy to tune into that when you're alone in your room, when you're meditating, when you're on a walk out in nature. And that's simply because you're not being pulled by these outside, if I could use that word, outside forces. Now, the non-dual truth, the unity of reality shows us that there is no outside. But right now I'm talking to you as a human, right? Human to human. And really what I've found is that it's just a muscle that you you build. Just like going to the gym, just like practicing the piano, the first time you go into a situation, let's say, or you encounter someone or something that throws you off, that makes you lose touch with that peace within, that truth within, um, it can feel like you have zero control, right? But what I've noticed is that the best way to resolve these types of situations is not to fight it when it's happening, right? It's not to get like upset um, that someone called you a name and then you called them a name back. And then you're like, Oh, why did I do that? I wasn't being loving. Like that's not ever helpful. Really what you need to do is strengthen your connection when you're not in these situations in whatever way you can. So it's really not a matter of, like I said, 
doing something in these situations. It's a matter of building this muscle, building this stability, we could say, within truth, within peace, so that when you go out into the world, you're basically imperturbable, right? Nothing can penetrate this this peace. And I'm not saying that you you sit in your room and you build up this front so that when you go out into this world, you're this hard, walled-off ego that no one can talk to and, and no one can have an open discussion with, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you're alone, when you have time, when it's easy to connect to source, when you're not being tested, that time, if valued, and if you give enough attention to it, will start to cultivate this this being, this stability automatically, right? It's not something the ego can pull off. So you probably think, oh, like, how do I remain strong when someone's testing me, right? Like, what do I got to do? Well, it's not really like up to you, right? It's more how, how much have you basked and how many times have you encountered truth just on your own some, right? That's going to be the determining factor because what I've found is that the more time I spend being alone in my room, the more time I spend in contact with love, it just naturally flows into my life. It naturally flows out into these situations and social situations, maybe with my family when it gets a little heated, whatever, right? It's just there and I'm not trying to force it to be there, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying like, yeah, I'm going to be strong. I'm really going to, I'm really going to be peaceful. I'm really going to be loving in this situation, right? Like if you're saying that to yourself, it's coming from ego, we could say. And um, remember, ego isn't, it's not actually an entity, right? There's not like this little thing inside you that's an ego, you are ego, um, but you're also so much more than that. So it's the aspect of yourself that we could call ego. Um, so you have to take responsibility for it. But this aspect of yourself that is ego, it just slowly starts to diminish on its own, right? There's no force. It just slowly and surely starts to calm down And you'll just find it's almost magical, right? It's mind-blowing. You're in these situations. People are testing you, calling you names. Maybe it's like an old high school bully. And that strength is just there, right? Not because you brought it up or because you forced it or anything like that. It wasn't done by the ego. It's there because you've been giving it the attention, the time, the dedication it deserves just in general throughout your day. It's a part of your lifestyle, right? So I really think the key here for both um, your question, Tracers, about how to remain unconditionally loving in testing situations, and also Neha, where you ask, how do I stay strong um, when people or situations are creating havoc? It's to find that place whenever you can of unconditional love, of strength, and go there as much as possible. Let the universe take care of the rest. You don't have to like dig up love and then like put it in your pocket so that when you're out in your life, you can like pull out love and be like, ah, you called me a name. Here's love, right? That's not how it works. It's 
always with you because the more you contact it, the more you cultivate it, the more you bask in being, the more you bask in love, in in strength within you, it just naturally overflows. It naturally appears like magic. It's like having this incredible sidekick now where you're going through life feeling like you were all alone. You were the separate little thing going through life at the whims of other people's words, right? But now you have this incredible force behind you, right? It's almost like an army of love, we could say. You have an army of love, an army of strength behind you because you've cultivated that connection, not in these situations, but just when you've had time, when you've been able to contact that place. So the key here is you will never feel unconditional in testing situations. You'll never feel truly strong in stressful situations unless that is cultivated in and of itself for its own sake, right? It can't be you're contacting love so that when you go out into the world, you're a loving person and everybody loves you, right? Like that's still kind of the ego trying to work its way in and be like, okay, so how do I use spirituality to like build myself up again? That's not really what it is. It's more that you surrender to it more and more. And the more you surrender, the more it comes to your aid. The more you surrender, the more you contact it, the more you bask in it, the more you realize that when you're out in your daily life, it's just there. Like like magic, it's just there. The love is just there. You don't have to force it. You don't have to try it, right? The strength is just there and it's incredible. You're like, whoa. And I've experienced this a year ago, two years ago. I would have never had the strength in this situation to, let's say, stand up for myself. Someone calls me a name. I usually would have quivered in fear, right? But now I find this freedom, this fearlessness. How? How is this possible? Is this because I like went out every day and like overcame my fear by like exposure? No, I mean, I'm not saying that can't help, but it's because I've spent so much much time basking in being, basking in love. I've given myself to the inner path so much that when I go out into the world, let's say, it's just there. I don't even have to try. And that's what I want for you. I don't want you to feel like you have to pull it up out of somewhere. I, I don't want you to feel like you you are are afraid to go into your day because uh, where where's the love? I can't find it. I can't find it, right? Like it'll be there when you need it, if that makes sense. It'll be there not only when you need it, but constantly. It's always there, right? It's always right here. It's nowhere else. The strength you're looking for isn't going to come from me from this podcast. The unconditional love that's going to help you in a testing situation isn't going to come from Victor. Where's it going to come from? You. It has to come from you. But you see, the testing situations are when you demonstrate the inner work you've done. That I mean, I mean, it is part of the inner work, we could say, but that's not where it's cultivated, right? It's cultivated through your own practice. And this is why it's so essential to take this seriously in a sense, right? To have a practice of some sort, whether that's meditation or psychedelics every now and again, or prayer or whatever, right? Just being, whatever. It's so important to have that and to not just 
you know, whimsically sort of be spiritual because if you're whimsically being spiritual, you're kind of half-assing it, right? You go out into your life, you face these testing situations, what happens? You feel like, oh, oh, well, oh, I don't feel the strength. I don't feel the love. Why is that? It's because you haven't really cultivated it. You haven't actually given it the time and attention it deserves. And I think for both of you, this will be key to to finding this effortless strength, this effortless unconditional love in these testing situations. So I hope that helps. Those were both amazing, amazing questions. Next question is from Caitlin Rose, one of my coaching clients. Hope you're doing well. She says, do you practice breath work? And um, it's funny. Uh, the answer would have been no a few weeks ago, but me and my lovely girlfriend have just started to do a lot of different forms of breath work. I honestly can't even remember the names. I would have to ask her, but I do practice breath work, not so much as a, a pathway to higher consciousness, right? Like I haven't ever had a mystical experience or an awakening doing breath work. I'm sure you could, but I do it for more for uh, mental, physical health, for calming my nervous system, right? Nervous system regulation. And um, that's what I advise breathwork for is, is just regulating a state of tranquility. Because if you're not in a state of tranquility, kind of like we were talking about in the first question, if you're not able to be in a equal, equalized sort of calm state, there's going to be no possibility of you awakening to anything higher. Like there's going to be no possibility of you awakening if you're just constantly stressed and your nervous system is overreacting and you're just full of angst and anxiety and fear, right? Like it's just not going to happen. And so breath work is a great way to maintain that sort of equilibrium, we could say, that allows us to do the deeper um, work that we need to do. So, uh, Caitlin, yes, I do practice breath work. I do, um, I guess one, one I remember is box breathing. So it's four in, four out, four in, four out. And, um, that's been great for just calming me down in stressful situations. Um, there's one that me and my girlfriend have been doing in the morning that wakes up your stomach. I, I really can't remember the name, but it's like an exhale or it's a long inhale. And then it's hands on the belly down here and it's... And every time your stomach comes in, your nose is shooting out a little bit of air. And um, that's great for, I think, uh, what my girlfriend was telling me, waking up your... Um, digestive system it wakes up your stomach it gets you ready for the day so breath works amazing for maintaining sort of the the peace of mind and the physical health that we need to do the deeper work that I'm so passionate about and that I want to teach you about here at pursuit of spirit so Caitlin yes I do breath work thank you for the question next question is from Mahova she says, or they say, I guess I don't know. Uh, they say, do non-living things have consciousness? Does this rock, if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify, 
does this rock have consciousness? Well, your question assumes something that is fundamentally wrong. Your question assumes that things can own or have consciousness, and this is not true. This is what I've experienced in my awakenings to not be true. And this is actually at the core of you believing that you are just an individual, is that you as a human own consciousness. It's actually much more radical than that. It's not that you as a human own it or have consciousness. <laughs> it's that consciousness has you. Consciousness has human, not human has consciousness. So with a non-living thing, with a rock, let's say, it can't have consciousness because consciousness already has it. Does it not? Is this, is this rock not within an appearing as your own conscious experience if you're watching it, right? Consciousness has rocks. Consciousness has humans. Consciousness has entire universes and societies and cultures and millions of people. So in a sense, everything is consciousness. I want you to really get this. A rock is literally consciousness itself because there is no possibility of a rock without consciousness. There's no possibility of a universe. There's no possibility of your mom and dad without consciousness. Right? So you don't own consciousness. A rock can't own consciousness. A tree can't own consciousness. No thing, no limited thing can own consciousness because consciousness is the ground of reality. Consciousness owns everything. So, if we were to reword your question, do non-living things have sentience maybe? Can they think? I would say no. Most things don't have sentience, right? I throw this rock, it's not going to go, ow! <laughs> the rock's fine. Now, plants are very interesting because they're sort of the line of sentience between humans' incredible and intelligent abilities and a rock, right? Because plants and trees... They face the sun. They react to energetic frequencies from music. I don't know if you guys have seen the studies they've done with playing music, loving music in rooms full of beautiful plants, and how much more they grow than the plants that they put in a room with heavy rock metal and rap music. It's incredible, right? So there's something going on there with plants specifically that they are sentient, right? They are... See, this is where the line's blurry, because if I say they are aware, in a sense, you go, oh, so they own awareness. But no, it's not that they own awareness. It's that they, they are able, let's say, they're able to utilize the fabric of reality, which is consciousness, in a somewhat intelligent way, which is incredible. This is the same thing with fungi and the fungi networks and people that, you guys should really look this up, they... they hook up this electronic thing to fungi and it converts it converts it the electrical signals to synth waves and it makes sounds and you can hear the fungi talk and it's like it's it's wild right it's totally wild 
So to answer your question, if it were reworded, do non-living things have sentience? I would say yes. Plants, fungi, trees, all these things, they do seem to have some degree of intelligence, let's say. Intelligence is a, is a great word. But consciousness, we have to remember, is not owned by anything. It is the ground. It's behind everything, right? It's behind every possible thing because no possible thing would ever or could ever be possible without consciousness. This is the fundamental flaw that science makes, and this is the fundamental metaphysical error we all make or that we've all made because we've been programmed by this cultural idea that us as humans own consciousness. But this has never been proven. And this has never or can never be proven because consciousness is not located inside your head. Your your the awareness that you essentially are is not in your head, right? We have many, many instances that show evidence that consciousness is not in your head. What is astral projection? What is out-of-body experiences if consciousness is in your head, right? What is mystical experiences and awakenings show us if consciousness is just in your head, right? They all subjectively, experientially disprove this. Now, you can never prove it through a scientific, peer-reviewed study, <laughs> and um, you never can. And that's because you are consciousness. You can't get behind it. Um, it it's, like a, it's like a drop of water trying to study the entire ocean. It's impossible, right? But the drop of water can realize its inherent essential quality of being the exact same thing as the entire ocean. And uh, that's what we call awakening. So this was actually a great, awesome, amazing question. I really love this. I would reword your question. I know what you meant. I just want to do to really shine the light of awareness on this underlying belief we all have, which is that we own consciousness, right? Even those of us that are interested in spirituality, we still walk around our lives like we're inside our heads. We're not. Your body, seriously, do this right now with me recognize that your body and your mind is within your awareness, right? Look at your hand, look at your arm, look at your feet, your legs, look at your chest. It's literally all within your awareness. Now you can't see your head, but if you tap the back of your head, you feel your head, you go, oh my gosh, this is all within awareness. Where the hell is awareness, right? Where is it? It's nowhere. And uh, you'll never find it. <laughs> because it's infinite and it's you. Pretty incredible. Next question is from Anita. Love your questions, Anita. Another client of mine, thank you so much for consistently staying with me. I, I, I love the support, really, thank you. She asks, what's your favorite lesson, I would assume it crushed you, that brought you to the biggest blessing? I would say my, my favorite lesson was the first time I truly encountered love. I became so aware of my own egotistical tendencies of how devilish, of how selfish I had been, and then how much I justified that. 
to myself and others as as right, it absolutely crushed me, which was great because it broke my heart open. But my favorite lesson has always been that first time I encountered divine, unconditional love. We could say God's love. We could say love with no boundaries, right? Infinite love. It was so clear to me how much of a liar I am, how deceptive I am, that it was crushing. But then I realized how beautifully okay all of that was and how beautifully okay it is that everyone else is essentially the same too, right? We've all done devilish things. We've all acted extremely egotistical. We've all been selfish as hell and then told people, oh, yeah, well, I did it because of this and I'm on the right side, right? Like, haven't you noticed you're the one that's always right in every situation? Hmm. Interesting. I wonder why that is. So there was this beautiful, profound, and I was probably 15 or so, 14 or 15. There was this beautifully profound, heart-wrenching, ego-shattering realization of how ridiculously unloving I had been. But at the same time, I simultaneously realized how unbelievably okay and how unconditionally loved I truly was. So it was the most mind-blowing thing. And this is what, every time I have an awakening to love, it's almost the same. It's like the same thing, just deeper. It's just like, holy shit, like, oh my gosh. It's love, right? It's love. And... I can't explain that through a video. I can't explain that through a podcast, but you'll know when you encounter it because it 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 breaks your heart open so much. You're so open. You're so vulnerable that you can't mistake it for anything. Like you'll just know it's love, right? Like I, you, you don't even have to question it. And um, I think that very first time that happened to me was by far my favorite, just absolutely by far my favorite, because it was so paradoxical. It was like having a rock crush you, but simultaneously feeling lighter than a feather. Like, how do you even explain that to someone, right? You feel like you're being crushed by a rock, but at the same time you're being crushed, you're light as a feather. What else could explain that but love? And um, that's what my favorite lesson has been and, and will continue to be and um, will always be love because it, it's, it just dissolves all of your bullshit. All of the ways that you lie to people, you manipulate reality, you tell yourself that you're a good little spiritual person when really you're not, it, it literally melts all of that away and uh, reveals nothing but truth. And it doesn't melt it away in sort of this like negative sense where it's like, oh, it's bad that you were selfish and egotistical. No, it's just, it's so crushing because you you just realize how unaligned you've been from the true thing, the real love, right? And this is a mistake a lot of 
um, I see a lot of other people make is they, and this is sort of the anti-good vibes only movement, right? There was sort of the good vibes only movement like 10 years ago. And now it's like anti-good vibes. It's like, no, it's not about good vibes. We got trauma. We got dark shit, right? And um, a lot of this sort of mentality, what this creates is this idea that love and light is like bad or it's like hippie and naive. And in a sense, it can be. Um, but when you encounter a love so great that you love your greatest enemy as much as you love your mom, it's not going to feel like some soft, fluffy, hippie thing. Try loving your high school bully as much as you love your partner. And tell me how hippie and soft it is. It's like the hardest thing you'll ever, ever do. And uh, this is why people avoid it so much. I talked about this a bit in the last episode, but this is why people avoid love so much. And um, this is why you need to remember that the greatest truth, one of the greatest truths will always be love. Not in a hippie sense, not in a, a soft, flowery, like, you know, pillow. It's sharp. It's crushing. To realize how devilish you've been and to actually admit that to yourself, that's not soft. That's the sharpest pain you'll ever feel. But that pain comes from love, right? Adashanti calls this fierce grace. It's fierce. And um, that crushing is your ego shattering into a million pieces. That's what the crushing is. The light of the feather is the recognition that love is what you truly are. And you've been acting as this ego, as this individual thing, which is why you're so devilish and egotistical. And that's why you don't feel love ever. Because you're mistaking what you truly are to be this little ego thing. And um, when you start to see that, and then you see it again, and then you get crushed again because you realize how egotistical you are, and then you get crushed again and again. It's just fierce grace after fierce grace. It's like getting slashed by a samurai warrior. There's nowhere to run. And um, it's incredible because it, it, it's it's literally the fastest way to grow is through love. And uh, a lot of this mentality of sort of, oh, no good vibes, no love and light, this can be easily mistaken and misunderstood for, okay, yeah, F love, it doesn't matter at all. I'm just going to like sort of, approach spirituality as this like dry, stale, neutral thing that's in my head. It's like, no, it, it, it is intellectual. Spirituality is intellectual, but it needs to drop to your heart. If you don't feel like you're connected to everyone and everything, how good is your realization that you are connected to everyone and everything? Now, don't get me wrong. Awakening and realizing at a very mental level that everything is one is incredible. But at some point, you can keep having those awakenings and realizations, but if it doesn't drop into your heart, into your nervous system, it doesn't inform how you feel. You don't actually feel love. You don't actually feel unity. Then it's really just half-baked. And I, I just sense that a lot of people fall into this trap, and I don't want you to fall into this trap of thinking that love is some dumb thing. It's not. Um... Uh, Think of the person that's hurt you the worst 
that you hate the most, think of that person right now you hate the most. And tell me, how easy is it for you to love them? And you'll say, oh, I can't love someone that abused me. They abuse me. That that would be like, that would be like self-sacrifice. You're telling me to love my abuser and to like stay with them? No, I'm not saying to stay with an abusive person. I'm saying to actually feel love towards them as a being, as someone that essentially is what you are, no matter how dysfunctional their mind or behaviors are. I want you to legitimately try right now to feel love towards that person that you hate the most and tell me if that feels soft or easy to you or like this like hippie love thing. It's probably the hardest thing you'll ever do if you do it correctly. Now you could fool yourself and be like, I love you. I love you, bully. But you don't actually feel it, right? You'll know when you actually feel the love towards them. And it's terrifying because your mind will go, wait, we can't love this person. They were horrible to us. But the heart says it doesn't matter. And um, that can be shocking to those of you that have denounced love or to those of you that have thrown love away. Because your ego wants to throw love away. Your ego wants to to think that it's not important to love. (laughs) how clever the ego is. And remember, the ego's you. You want to throw love away because you know how incredibly hard it is to love. And it would just be your greatest joy to awaken and do this spiritual stuff without the love. To just keep it mental, right? Keep it in your head. I've awoken. Everything's non-dual, but I still feel like an ego. I still feel separate, right? That's what you want. You want to feel separate, but tell yourself you're awake. You're not awake until you feel unity with everyone and everything, even the most despicable, horrible aspects of reality, which of course are aspects of your own self. The murderers, the rapists, the killers, they're all you. Can you love them? Guess we'll find out. Thank you for that question, Anita. Amazing. Next up is the Slength222. He says, have you listened to John Livingston Siegel yet? I haven't, but I plan on it. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, Next one, Hannah's Face. How to plant seeds for others. Oh, beautiful question. And this is our last one that we will end on. How to plant seeds for others. Is it by constantly challenging them and their current beliefs? Is it by forcing your ideas and beliefs down their throats? Does that sound right to you? I would say no. I would say the best and the only way to truly plant a seed is to embody and demonstrate in your words, actions, behaviors, and feelings the seed you wish to to plant. So the mistake here is thinking that I can plant a seed in someone else by telling them how they're wrong, right? By deconstructing their beliefs and pointing out every error they've made and that'll plant the seed that'll get them to really grow right 
chances are, no, that's never going to happen, especially if it's someone you have no idea who they are, they have no idea who you are. Maybe, maybe this can happen with someone really close to you to point out, hey, this is inconsistent. This isn't actually true here, right? But even then, even then, you're still playing with fire. Why? Is it because it's wrong to to deconstruct or to point out the flaws and errors in other people's belief systems? No. It's that it's just not wise. And from personal experience, you'll recognize pointing out people's wrong beliefs, evaluating their worldviews, and then judging them for specific parts of it that you don't agree with or whatever. You recognize how naive and childish childish this is um, and how childish it is to believe that that will somehow put them in a position to not only open up to you, but to trust you and actually take what you're saying seriously. Um, That almost never happens. Why? Because we're reactive creatures, right? And if someone comes at you um, with the intention of planting a seed, which is a very noble intention, but they're doing it in a way that's challenging you, especially if they don't even know you, like it's some random person online, it just takes a little bit of wisdom to see that that's never going to truly work the way that you say it, you want it to. Now, I believe some people say, and I've experienced people say that they, that they're planting seeds by challenging other people's behavior, by deconstructing their worldview and going, oh, this is wrong. This isn't right. Um, and then they say, oh, well, I'm planting a seed because maybe in five years they'll, they'll come back and thank me. Um, yeah, maybe, but I highly doubt that. And what I, what I believe is happening is that that's just a story you're telling yourself because you want to feel right. You want to feel like you have the better ideas. You want to feel like you have the truth that you own it and that any person you come across, you can deconstruct theirs because theirs isn't true. And of course, they feel this because that's exactly what's going on. You don't actually care about planting seeds. Because if you did, it would not be done in that childish, naive way. You would plant a seed by simply being that which you could only wish they get to be as well, right? It's not something you get to decide. And this is how you know it's an ego at play if you're trying, if you're like trying to plant seeds is because you're like, oh, I'm going to plant a seed in my mom because I've noticed that she does this thing. So I'm going to like tell her this thing and I'm going to be manipulative and what it's ego. It's so egotistical. The true high conscious wise way of planting a seed is to just embody it, be it so fully, so radically that every person you come into contact with finds that within themselves. You see, because planting a seed, what is a seed? You're showing someone within them what you have discovered within yourself. And if you come at this with at them with this attitude of, I'm going to show you, not by me embodying it, not by me being it, but by me pointing out all your flaws and errors, they're going to feel so uncomfortable. They're going to close up, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So like I said, the wise way and truly the only way you can actually plant a seed 
is to just be it. Don't even say anything. That's the most powerful way. You know what's even better than telling someone the ultimate truth of reality? Embodying the ultimate truth of reality because it's so much more real. Because at that point, it's not a thought, right? Again, it's not just stuck in your head. It's actually dropped down. It's actually informing how you feel, how you talk, how you act, how you speak, how you walk even, right? Like how you walk when you're embodying love is so different than how you walk when you're embodying negativity and and divisiveness. So for me, the true way to plant a seed is never to point out the flaws and errors of someone else's worldview. It's never to show them how they're wrong, right? Now, maybe, maybe there's a tiny specific circumstance in like a coaching call where I would be like, well, what's this, right? But even then you do it in such a loving way that you're still embodying and being that love, right? But it's never this sort of like, righteousness and this sort of like I'm above you because I know the truth and you're obviously deluded and um, this is how I'm going to plant a seed for you right like hmm, you're wrong like no no one's ever going to accept that seed in their heart unless it's within your heart truly and so that's the key to planting seeds you want to see someone's face light up with joy walk in to a room with your face light lit up with joy. Don't tell them their face should be lit up with joy, right? This is childish, naive idea of, of basically sharing spirituality, shoving your ideas down their throat. Be love, be love, be love. <laughs> you idiot, why aren't you love? You idiot, you're so not in contact with the truth. This is the ego at play, and of course... It always ends in disaster. So my advice and what I've always experienced is that the embodiment of the love, of the joy, is 100 times, 1,000 times more powerful than intellectually debating and arguing and trying to like prove to someone that what you're saying is true. If it's true, then be it, right? If it's true, you shouldn't have to say anything at all. It's true. Truth means it's true no matter what. Truth means it's true even if you convince them or not. So why are you trying so hard to convince them it's true? It must not really be that true for you if you need to prove it's true. You see? So that's my take. Be it. Embody it. Don't say a word. It's magical when this happens, when you walk into a room with love in your heart. It's magical. You can say, you can have the most basic conversation with the next, okay, this is your test. And this is what we're going to end on. The next stranger you encounter at the grocery store, the clerk, at the gas station, whatever, at your gym, the front desk people, I want you to see what happens when you don't say anything, but you consciously hold within your heart love. You walk in there with so much love. Just watch what happens. It's incredible. They'll sense it because humans don't just receive information by words. They, they receive information by tone of voice, right? I'm sure you've noticed when I really want to 
hammer a point home, I get very serious. My tone of voice changes because I'm trying to prove a point. I'm trying to, I'm trying to nail something and, and get it through the egoic barriers of your mind, right? But then my tone of voice can change. And when your tone of voice changes, when your body language changes, when your energy changes, you don't even have to say a word. And that love will just infect everyone around you. And it's the greatest joy. Not because they're adopting your worldview. Chances are they're still going to keep believing all the wild, you know, unreal things they've been believing their whole lives. But they'll go, what the hell was that? Why did why'd they make me feel so good? We didn't even talk about anything cool. They just said, hey, could I have this drink and put 20 on my pump? Why did that make me feel so good? What the hell just happened? <laughs> love just happened. And love doesn't need words. In fact, love is 10 times, 1,000 times more powerful when it's communicated through embodiment. So try it out. See what happens. And let me know. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm going to go try it too. I'm about to go to the gym and I'm going to be love. Now, be careful here. I'm not saying that you're going to be love and then wait for a reaction as like sort of a manipulation. Like I'm going to be love and then they're going to like love me back and tell me how amazing I am. Um, A lot of times people are so closed off. Again, people are usually so closed off. Their egos have built such a fortress that the seed isn't planted immediately by your love, even like a grumpy person, right? This actually happened at the fair the other day. This lady at a booth, she must have been there all day. She was just in, I could just tell, just this very, very bad mood. She looked like she was suffering. And they were selling dips. They were, they were selling uh, ch- uh, chip dips, homemade dips and stuff at the fair. And I said, hi, like, can we try some of these? And uh, she was closed off. And she's like, yeah, here you go. And then I, I just kept talking to her, right? And I could see, I watched it happen in real time. I watched her come out of this dark cloud she was in. And she didn't even know how or why. She might have not even had a thought about it. But nonetheless, she she came out of that. And by the end of the conversation, she was reflecting my energy back almost exactly. She was uppity. She was talking in a in a in a calmer, more relaxed, open way. And I just knew it was because of the love I brought to that conversation. Um, and and that's amazing when that happens. But a lot of the times, the people like that. Um, they're so closed off. It, it it feels like it's not getting through. And a lot of this is because a lot of people are afraid of love. So they actually, when they feel it, they close up more. They get, they get even more sharp. They get even more closed off because of why. Remember what we talked about? Because love is the most terrifying thing ever for the ego, for you as this character that you're playing. The character that you're playing, for me, it's Victor. Victor's biggest fear, truly, is love. Now, that sounds so weird to say it like that, but it's true. And you can start to notice and observe this within your own self in your daily life. When someone talks to you in an insanely open way, 
when someone tries to like buy you something, you resist it. You're like, I don't want you to buy that for me, right? Why? Why are you so resistant to love? Because it'll crush you. (laughs) If you let it in, it'll absolutely destroy you. And that's true, it will. But what will be left is not a destroyed you. What will be left is your true self, the authentic embodiment of love that you've always been, which is just now covered by all these layers of conditioning and societal cultural baggage that has been put on top of you. And you think that that's the gold, right? The societal baggage, all of my beliefs, that's the gold. And love threatens that. Of course it does. Because love has no boundaries. And um, you love having boundaries. You love getting mad at people for certain things and then praising people for other things. You love the game, right? I love the game. But there's another level. And that another level is not love in a hippy-dippy sense, which is opposite of negativity and darkness. It's love in an absolute sense. It's love that loves the person that you hate the most as much as the person you love the most. You see? That's the love we're talking about. And that's the love that plants seeds. So remember that. And we'll end here. I think this is a beautiful spot to end. Thank you for tuning in and watching this episode. I did want to say something really quick about the new Life Purpose course. I've created a Life Purpose course. I didn't get to this in the last podcast episode. It's perfect for those of you that don't know what you're doing with your time. You wake up in the morning basically dreading work. I know because I did. And for those of you that feel like you don't, know what to do, you feel lost, the Life Purpose course will find help you find that clarity, 100%. In the Life Purpose course, I, I guide you to find your top values. I guide you to find your top strengths. We create a vision. We clarify which habits we need to cultivate, which habits we need to eliminate. And we talk about so much more. And by the end of it, and I know because I did it myself, I did. I went through this process myself, you have such unbelievable clarity when you wake up in the morning, you know exactly what you're doing. When you're in the middle of your day wondering what you should do with your time, if you should sit down and watch TV or go do this other thing, you know exactly what, you, what to do because you're so clear and you've done the work that you do in the course that allows you to navigate through life in such a clear way, in such a, um, um, not divisive, in a decisive way where you know what to do. You can say no easily, say yes to the things you need to because you know what you need to be doing, not because it's going to bring you money. That's not what life purpose is about, but because it's truly and authentically lined with what you truly and authentically value and find meaningful in life. And that's different for everyone, right? So the Life Purpose course is amazing for those of you that feel lost, that just don't have any direction. You wake up in the morning and you just kind of are a leaf in the wind. If someone calls you and says, hey, let's do this, you just do it because you don't have any direction. And if you feel tired of that, this Life Purpose course will solve that for you. Now, it's not 
um, only for people who feel lost. The Life Purpose course can be great for those of you that feel like maybe you found success, like maybe you have direction, but you still sense that something's off. You sense this hollowness. You sense that you're missing something in your life. This Life Purpose course will clarify that for you as well because you may discover a value. You may discover a strength of yours that you're not honoring. And that's that hollowness, right? But you would never know that unless you took the course. So really just anyone, this course will provide massive value and just incredible clarity to your life. And there's also a 90-day challenge at the end and um, some amazing book recommendations. So all in all, the the Life Purpose course is in, it's incredible. And um, if you're interested, you can visit that at PursuitOfSpirit.com in the courses pathway or down below, there'll be a link. I also have added a brand new guided meditation. It is so much better than the free one that I have. So I have a free one and a... Um, a paid one now it's fifteen dollars, um, and and any of this, any of the money I make, I want you guys to know, and I'm gonna be honest, like it helps me survive, <laughs> it helps me to keep doing the work I'm doing, it it feeds me, it it helps me pay the the website bill and the domain bill, it helps me with all my taxes, all the money I have to pay for Pursuit of Spirit being an LLC, all of this stuff, that's what your money's going towards. Um, so if you're ever wondering like, wh- why am I buying this? Victor, aren't you a spiritual teacher? Shouldn't you just be giving everything away for free? <laughs> I wish I could do that. Um, but the reality is that I live in America and without money, I can't do anything. Without money, I'll have to work a nine to five and then I won't have any time for podcast episodes for making courses, for making Instagram posts. I won't have any time for that if I'm not able to to find some sort of support within Pursuit of Spirit. So that's why I put a price on the things I do. But there is a brand new meditation. Um, It's incredible. I think you'll love it. The quality is amazing. It's called The Peace of Being. You can also find that at PursuitOfSpirit.com in the meditations pathway or the link down below. So just a few updates for you. And also the website's completely redesigned. I don't think I've said that yet. So just go check out the website if you want to. Um, You can make a profile. You can follow people. You can message people. And if you're one of the first 100 people to sign up to the website, you get a badge that says original member. I'm only giving out 100 to the first 100 people that sign up past then. No more original members. So if you want to get that badge, the original member... Um, in 10 years, you'll still have that badge and only 100 people will have that badge. So if I plan on Pursuit of Spirit being as big as it's going to be, it would be pretty badass in 10 years to have one of those badges, to be one of the first 100 in tens of thousands of people um, in, in the community I plan to create. It, it would be so cool. And so that's why I made it. There's some incentive there for you to go check out, maybe make a profile, maybe download the free guided meditation or maybe buy the the you know, whatever you want to do, go check it out. And uh, if you sign up, you make a profile, you'll get that badge. It'll be on your profile forever. And um, yeah, let me know what you think too. I, I put a lot of work into the the website. It's what I did during my break. And um, it's really a work of art to me. So uh, yeah. 
But uh, I'll end it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope I answered all of your questions. Next week, I want to do an episode more so on just one topic. I want to dive super deep because I feel like that's the best way to learn. And um, I guess I'll see you then. So enjoy your day. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've stayed this long, I appreciate you so much. Namaste.